Hello and welcome to another episode of the Agile Uprising podcast. My name is Niklas Kari and this non-North American accent is brought to you all the way from Finland. My co-hosts today are Mike Adel. How are you, Mike? Doing well. Howdy, y'all. Hello. And Janelle Lanza. How are you, Janelle? Hi, it's great to be here. Happy to be a part of this discussion. Great. And we are today joined by our guest, Christian Vavis. Um, I'm sorry if I butchered the pronunciation of your last name. You can perfect. <laughs> uh, happy to correct it. So, so Christian, welcome. Uh, can you can you tell the audience a bit about your uh, yourself and what you do? Yeah, sure. And of course, an, another non-North uh, American accent because I'm from the Netherlands. Um, but uh, well, uh, first of all, thank you so much for having having me in, in your uh, podcast. It's, it's very nice to be able to talk about the topic we're going to talk about, about how to bring data and, and science and evidence to, to the discussions in our field. Um, but I'm Christian Verwijs. As I said, I live in the Netherlands with Lisanne, my wife. Um, I've been working in, in the Scrum Agile community for 15 plus years now, I think I kind of stopped counting, but for a long time. Um, and it mostly started by, because I'm a developer, I really love building products. And it's something I started doing when I was uh, like like a teen and I'm still doing it today. I mean, I just, before this podcast, I was writing some code for a platform that we're building. Um, and I really like that. But because of that, I also really um, connected well with Agile and Scrum principles. Uh, I have a background in software engineering. I have a background in organizational psychology, um, kind of a weird combination at the time, but these days it makes a lot of sense also for the discussion that we're going to have, I think. Um, and, and I really appreciate the scientific perspective that I've been taught. Uh, and and it, I like to bring this to my work too. Um, I have a company called The Liberators together with Barry Overeem, who is my business partner. Um, and we've we've had that company for, I think, five years now. Quite a while. It's been a blast. Uh, we're just a two-person company trying to make a worldwide impact. Also based on scientific evidence that we're we're doing a lot of research ourselves and we're trying to spread that research and engage more people to do it. Also academics to engage with us on this. Um, but that's something we can talk more about in, in the rest of the podcast. I think that that's it for, for now. Okay, awesome. That 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 sounds sounds great. So 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 basically you have a like consulting business on and training business or yeah, well, honestly, I have no idea what kind of business we have. We always okay. sort of <laughs> try to, basically, we try to do what we like doing. And it's been a training workshop kind of oriented business for a long time. But since COVID, we also started building a product called mm -hmm. the Scrum Team Survey, which is something that I'm spending most of my time on now. But yeah, it's, yeah. I think it's like organizational consultancy or helping teams be more effective. Yeah. That's, the, that's yeah. the core mission. And we'll be talking more about the Scrum Team Survey today as part of our discussion. So we, we kind of have two topics here. What kind of sparked this uh, discussion was that, that last November, you wrote an uh, article, uh, is safe really that bad, which uh, uh, caused quite a lot of like discussion in, in the community, even, even some controversy, you could say. Mm -hmm. So, so we, we want to discuss that with you. And, and um, then like secondly, uh, we also want to uh, spend a bit of time to understand the role of research in, in, in the agile community, what kind of value can it bring to the to the community? So, so uh, you you have a uh, I think quite a unique perspective on these things, and it, it it will be interesting to see, you know, where what where our discussion will lead us. Um, okay, uh, I, I think like we all know that that in, in the agile community, there's you know from time to time like debate about uh, different frameworks and, and approaches mm -hmm. to to uh, agile and agility. 
And um, uh, in particular, safe is, is something that, that the scale actual framework that is it's not universally loved and, and uh, it, it arouses some passionate debates about like, you know, is it agile or, or is it a good thing or bad thing or where does it work, where does it not work? So, so Christian, you, you did something unusual in, in, in this debate. debate. You, you came armed with, with some data to, to, to uh, provide your perspective or, or at least like one perspective to, 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 to save and, and maybe like um, also other, other frameworks. So, uh, and, and, and that uh, with, with the help of that data, you wrote this article that is, is safe really that bad. So could you, could you please talk about the research you, you did and, and, and for this article and what your conclusions were? Yeah, of course, I, I'd be happy to. And, and let me also emphasize that I'm really interested to hear your thoughts and your like, what are the questions mm -hmm. that it raised for you? Like, and, and so please just jump in and, and ask them while I'm, I'm, I'm sharing the, the, the findings from the post. But what I've done basically, and I've been doing this for a while now, is to try to apply an evidence-based perspective to questions that I have as a practitioner of Scrum and Agile. Um, and I've actually done this for a number of topics, but scaling frameworks are, like you said, very unpopular, popular in, in our community. Um, so that was a topic that resonated very strongly with a lot of people. It's kind of sad for the other topics, which I think are also very interesting, but less controversial, I think, so a lot less attention spent on those. Um, but basically, my question was, based on my own sort of gut feeling about SAFE and LESS and other scaling frameworks, is that my gut feeling is that they are a, comp that they are a very complex solution to something that should be that benefits more from a simpler solution. Um, that, that's my gut feeling as a practitioner. Uh, and I've not been verbal about this on social media because it's just a gut feeling. I don't think there's a lot of value in that. Um, so Barry and I, I don't think have ever written much about safe or less or other scaling framework because it's mostly our gut feeling. We have some experience with them, but it's a mixed bag, basically. But I thought, like, let's try to collect data and see what the data says. Now, I already mentioned that I'm building a product called the Scrum Team Survey. It's a platform that teams can freely use to diagnose themselves and get feedback from our tool. Uh, and we collect a lot of data with that platform. Um, I think today we're at over 10,000 teams. So that's that's a large database. And then we also ask a lot of different questions that allow me to answer questions like these. So for example, we ask teams and their organizations, what scaling framework do you use? Um, so this basically allowed me to compare teams from the organizations that use different frameworks on a number of uh, core factors that we know from scientific research are important to team effectiveness. Um, and I can briefly name them, their stakeholder concern. So do teams actually work with stakeholders? Can they respond quickly to changing needs, which is responsiveness? Can they improve continuously? Uh, do they have a climate of continuous improvement? Do they have autonomy to take control over their own work? And to what extent do they have support for management? So I compared teams from different organizations with different scaling frameworks on those five core factors. We didn't find a big difference. There was a small significant difference, but very tiny. I mean, like it was negligible almost um, for all scaling frameworks. So it wasn't just safe. It was less safe. Scrum of scrums are your own invented framework. No, no scaling framework at all. There was no meaningful difference between any of those. Um, we also looked at stakeholder satisfaction. So we have a, a separate questionnaire that teams can send out to their stakeholders of different types of stakeholders. 
Uh, and we ask those stakeholders questions about the quality of the work that teams are doing for them, the responsiveness of teams, the, um, the, the, the collaboration that they feel with teams, but also the value that teams are delivering to them. And also there, we didn't see a big difference. Um, and uh, in this case, we're talking about, from the top of my head, about uh, 2,500 teams, I think, and about 400 stakeholders. We've actually been rerunning the analyses recently with a larger data set, which hasn't been published yet, but even with 3,000 teams representing uh, 11,400 team members and 544 stakeholders, the results are mostly the same. So still not any meaningful differences. Um, so th those were two perspectives, like stakeholder satisfaction is not very different. Uh, the core factors of what make teams successful are not very different. I also looked at other scientific studies that have been done in the field, which unfortunately is not that much, because for some reason, academics are not really interested in comparative analysis. They are just looking to understand things. But also there, I couldn't really find evidence that one framework is much better than the others or much worse than the others. Um, and I basically wrote a blog post to summarize those findings, not to say safe is not bad, even though that's the title, but I, I tried to pick a somewhat provocative title also. Yeah, yeah, of course. But but may, yeah, it's, got, it's sad, but that does work uh, better uh, online. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to show more like, okay, this is my gut feeling. Is it actually supported by the evidence? And in this case, my conclusion for me is it's, it's not supported by the evidence. Apparently teams that use SAFE can be just as about effective as other teams that use other scaling frameworks. It's not SAFE in particular. It's just that SAFE is a big... Uh, how do you call this? Like a, it, it's a fire starter for discussions online, usually. Yeah, Mike, I think you have a question. Yeah, um, uh, question. So I'm I'm curious in the um, uh, survey that you uh, created. Um, how did how is are the different categories either defined or presented or communicated? And what I'm what I'm curious about underneath that question is. Um, uh, to what extent the responses could possibly be context specific as opposed to um, the same or similar, and does that make does that make a difference, or how does that possibly inherent bias then influence the, the mm -hmm. data and the the possible conclusions? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, do you have an example, maybe, of a category where you're specifically where you're expecting yeah, a difference? I'm thinking of. Um, uh, stakeholder satisfaction and uh, team autonomy as, as a couple. So um, uh, as a, two possible ends of the spectrum uh, could be uh, a, a, a smallish company that um, has uh, very nimble um, uh, teams where they the, the teams make many more decisions about the product and about how they work and what documentation they create is an example, or it could be many different things. Um, mm -hmm. that, that is one in the spectrum. The other in the spectrum is a very large organization, maybe one that's been around for a hundred plus years, works in a highly regulated industry, and has a rich legacy of, uh, of uh, top-down control. And uh, to a team in that organization, autonomy may um, be as simple as uh, having a voice in the discussion where 
the work they're being mandated to do is determined. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, so looking at the two, you know, it, it has the same label, but is it the same thing? And is that relevant? I think it's it's relevant in the sense that this is always something you want to rule out as an explanation. Um, the way, for example, let's pick team autonomy, the way we measure team autonomy and maybe just a bit of background on how we measure this stuff in the first place is we have a questionnaire yeah. and it's about it. 70 questions or something. It's, it's a bit more actually. Um, and for each topic that we measure, we have a number of questions and then we sort of triangulate the actual score from the answers that people give on those questions. So for team autonomy, we actually ask questions about self-management, um, which is a sort of a sub-factor of it. And we also ask questions about cross-functionality, which is the ability of teams to actually bring their skills together in a way that helps them achieve their, their goal. Um, and for, I think this is, your question is mostly concerned, I think, with self-management. Um, the questions we ask there are things like, does your team have control over how they do their work? Uh, or to what extent do they have control over how to do their work? Or is your team able to schedule their work? Um, and yeah, I think I suppose it's possible that in a very large corporate, um, the same level of autonomy that people experience actually means something different in a very small company. Um, but I, I wouldn't even know how to control for that uh, in, in a measurement because how do you know, right? Um, ultimately, what we're trying to measure is behaviors in teams, like what kind of behaviors happen there. Um, and I would say if a team is capable of scheduling their own work, for me, they have high autonomy. Uh, and if they're able to control how they do their work, like what methods they use to do their work, then I would say they have autonomy. At least that's consistent with uh, what research says about how to define autonomy in teams. Um, the same so, goes- So you think, have a definition that you- can Yeah, use. definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's actually, um, which is interesting maybe for the listeners, that there is a scientific publication also that we did on the model that's behind the, the survey, the questionnaire, where we sort of outline the definitions and how it ties into existing research, how we validated the questionnaire, how we ensure that we're measuring the same thing. Um, but still, I think it's always good to be to, to look for better ways to measure things. Um, so yeah, there is there is a potential that it might mean something else, but I haven't seen any science of it because the thing is you, you kind of for everything we measure we don't see a difference and i would expect that if for example team autonomy in particular is experienced very differently in very large organizations than in very small organizations then then i would expect to see only a difference there but we're not seeing difference in any area like um climate of continuous improvement like psychological safety in a team the ability of teams to, to learn new things, uh, the morale of teams. So um, in this case, then, then you would have to sort of, exp- you have to figure out how 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 can how is it possible that everything is sort of the same across these different teams? But it, like I said, it's a, it's a good question. I, I don't have a, I don't have a way to, uh, to control for it at the moment. Yeah, I understand. Just understanding that there's a, a consistent. Uh, yeah. Uh, source and and definition or or evaluation criteria. Yeah, and what we actually do, and that might actually help a little bit because one of the challenges that I have with publishing stuff like this, I mean, the the study we're talking about right now is not peer-reviewed yet. We're in the process of doing that, but that takes like two years. It's very slow. Um, But one of the things that's really important for people to realize about questionnaires like this is that 
we are constantly using statistical techniques to identify which questions are not consistently measuring something. There are statistical ways to do that. And we actually remove those questions. So the moment we see that one question is answered very weirdly or inconsistently, then it's automatically removed or not automatically, but I remove it from the questionnaire and replace it with something else that is more consistent. Then that's the way we try to ensure reliable measures. Is it perfect? No, it isn't, but at no. least it's a, it's a good start, I think. Yeah, no, no system of measurement yeah. is perfect. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was just about to add, add to that. And certainly my impression is that, that you are way more thoughtful than you know, 99 point something of, of, of any like research I've seen about in, in the in the agile space, so so uh, uh, certainly the, I think this is a like very good effort. I think it's also important that you are not your background is not like safe or less or anything yeah. like that. So 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 kind of like like the, the flavor that that you know if you would be a safe fellow or or you know it might be that yeah. you might yeah. be a bit more biased yeah. Than, yeah. Than, than 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 you are in, in this case. So I I, I think you know, yeah while it's certainly possible there's some like bias that kind of is unaccounted for. Yeah, uh, I, I believe this is a very credible result you had here. I, I hope mean, so. The yeah. peer reviewers are also looking at it, and and I, <laughs> I'm not sure. I haven't received any feedback yet, but this is what they will look for. Like, is there potential for bias and issues? And the other study that that is the foundation for our questionnaire has already been peer reviewed, so we've actually already gone through through that process with them. Is that the uh, 2021 now Mita and and I can't even pronounce S. Inia, but I, I'm sorry, I butchered those names. Uh, I'm not sure. What, what are you referencing, Mike? The, the, the other study you just mentioned, was that the Almeida uh, and Essenia? No, it's um, Verweis and Russo 2023. It actually was published officially last month, even though we already made it available two years ago. <laughs> That's kind of shows okay. how long it takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I think this was a interesting uh question about the methodology and, and the potential bias there unless we have like some other questions about like how the study was done uh we, we could maybe jump into to the conclusions a bit uh deeper because I, I think you had some like interesting thoughts and you know what does it mean why 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 are there no differences there mm -hmm. and your question and what's your question about that yeah if, if you could just talk about the the, the kind of conclu conclusion that you made you know, yeah. based on your paper but oh, I think that's course. quite interesting yeah yeah, yeah. So like like you already said, I, I'm not a safe practitioner. I mean, I've worked in organizations that apply safe and less and, and Nexus and all the other uh, scaling frameworks. I don't have a stake in a particular one, but like I said, I started my investigation with this gut feeling that scaling may not be the best solution to, to the problem that scaling is trying to solve. But I think what I sort of realized from the analyses is that even though it's a complicated answer, or not maybe, but like maybe all this talk about scaling frameworks is not the best way to spend our time and effort because a lot of attention goes to that in our community. Maybe other factors are actually more important in shaping how effective teams and organizations can be. Um, and, and just to give you a number for this in our more recent analyses of the data set for the safe paper, we um, also calculated something called uh, the explained variance. And this means that you can basically calculate how much of the variance in team effectiveness or stakeholder satisfaction can be explained from the choice of uh, scaling framework alone, if everything else is equal. Um, and it, it's about one to 2%. So it's, it's tiny. 
Um, and if you look at other factors that, that are important, um, for example, are teams actually able to talk with stakeholders, um, then you can see that that's usually five, six, seven, eight, ten percent. Um, the core factors that I mentioned earlier, like responsiveness, continuous improvement, team autonomy, uh, stakeholder concern and management support together, these factors explain about 70%, 7-0 of team effectiveness. So those factors are statistically at least far more important. Um, and maybe scaling frameworks have some influence on them, but if we control for, for that in our results, it's still only 2 to 3%. So um, I would say that we may, may, may do well not to spend that much time thinking and arguing and discussing frameworks necessarily and focus more on what actually happens in teams and organizations that try to apply all this stuff. Uh, I think that that's the conclusion that I drew from this investigation. But I'm curious to, to, to learn your what your takes are from this. I mean, generally, you are quite experienced working with, with many organizations. So, so what, what, what's your feeling about those conclusions? Well, and in my introduction, I didn't say that I'm an executive coach and have been a practitioner in different methodologies for a long time. And I'm currently a senior consultant in digital performance, where we survey teams to understand the best ways and like how, what is the current state of your software delivery teams? Mm. What is the current state of the teams you want us to survey? We also get context. We don't just do a survey. We have data scientists and engineers helping us with it. It's really fun. Um, so I'm really enjoying the conversation. Um, what? So yes, there's a lot of discussion and argument out there and I think it's healthy to a point. And as a reader, you know when to walk away, when you're not getting value anymore from the conversation, you're not getting a new perspective. It's time to just, oh, it's the same old song and dance. Um, but I do believe you're onto something with um, what are the conditions that need to be present for any um, change or transformation to take place. So it can be the, the most supported, sponsored change or transformation ever. But if the conditions aren't created to help that transformation happen, it really does not matter what it is. So it's like conditions for Scrum. What do we need to have mm -hmm. happen for that to grow beyond that one little team that saw success? Scaled Agile, same thing. Um, they're not the same thing, but the conditions behind it, I believe there is something to that. I really, I really like that you also bring in like something like Scrum, which is also a framework, but in practice, I th there was actually a nice question from someone that said, like, isn't it important to measure how consistently teams are using Scrum? And you can ask that question also of SAFE and LES and all the other frameworks. But in my experience, it, Scrum always looks different. Like whatever team I go to, it looks different. It's never exactly the same because teams are different. People are different. Organizations are different. Products are different. Well, and when they can't get the value doing it the way Scrum says, they do it their own way and yeah, say, oh, yeah. so this is how we're going to do it. Yeah, and perhaps that's fine. It's, it's a thing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I like that you're also bringing that data-based perspective to to these discussions. It's really useful. I think in general, maybe that's the biggest conclusion of my my series of blog posts where I try to bring more evidence to certain questions. I wish we had more of this in our community, um, and that it was more common. Or, I mean, Nicholas, you said it in the introduction that I did something 
pretty unique, which I, is nice for me, but it's also a bit sad, if I'm honest, that it's not very common in our field to bring data to a discussion. I think we can all benefit so much more and create so much more impact if we actually do a, take more effort to, to bring some evidence to the table that's not just our gut feeling or what's provocative on social media. That's my big hope. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and of course, I guess the fundamental issue is that it's easy to have some experience that what worked or didn't work in some context, but it's it's more difficult to have these you know surveys and 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 kind of like collect be rigorous about collecting data. Um, I want to ask you about uh, one thing. So you said that the frameworks explain like one to two percent of of the success in, in in any case at most. So does that mean that that uh, you know, you should not use a framework. You should kind of just figure it out yourself. Or, or do you think that that framework actually have value? Or, or and, and, mm. and if they have, in which case do they have value? Right. That's a that's a very provocative question. <laughs> um, I would say do what works. And I know that this is a very agile coach like answer. Like it depends, but um, maybe it's more like do what works <laughs> for you. If 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 it fits. In some organizations, something like SAFE will be more meaningful because it uses terminology that is already sort of familiar to some of the people in the organization or because it reflects things that already happen. I don't think that that's a problem. I mean, for some people in our community, that's part of the problem of SAFE. But I don't think that that's necessarily a problem because you need to start somewhere and you cannot expect a big corporate organization to change everything they do and just use Scrum and nothing else. Um, so I would say do what works. And I, I would also say this to teams that use Scrum. Um, use what works. And if you need to change it, change it. Um, but it's a helpful guide. It can, can point you in a direction. And if you deviate from it, make sure you understand why you're deviating from it. Um, and maybe don't deviate from it the very first moment, but deviate from it when it starts to not work in certain areas or get difficult. That that's that that would be my 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 answer to your question, I think. But it's a it's a half formed thought, to be honest. So I'm really curious about your thoughts. Well, well I, at least one thing I, I could refer is your your own article here. You, you talked about kind of like like matching the the mindset, existing mindset of the organization yeah. and, and the framework. Yeah. So so, so that that's uh, I, I thought that was like an interesting idea. That, that yeah, I think that that's important. Um, and then yeah. also we have a lot of companies and customers and and teams that work with safe or unsafe organizations and or less or one of the other frameworks. And that's what what we also sometimes hear, like, let's just start with safe and we'll see from there because that's easier for us to get started with than because it already gives a lot of ideas for how to do governance, for how to do long-term roadmaps and so on. And it may not be perfect in the eyes of very experienced agile practitioners, including myself, if I'm honest, but maybe that's okay, and that at least focus on all the other factors that that I mentioned and that uh, that, that we already talked about. Yeah, kind of like yeah. is it is it agile enough for that company at that moment, or is it good enough for that company to take a step forward? Yeah, or a good starting point, uh, I would say. And I'm not sure. Are you familiar by any chance with that's really fascinating work by? I'm going to butcher their names too, but the Kalue and Vermaak, two psychologists, business uh, scientists, they're from the Netherlands actually, but they have this color theory of change. Does that ring a bell? No. Uh, no I, I, when you say you're talking about color theories of change, I'm, uh, I, my mind goes to Lulu and... Yeah, yeah, that, 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 yeah that's, I don't know actually what came first. I, I think the Kalue and Vermaak may be a bit older, but it's 
it's more like they have more of a philosophical framework to think about how do people think about change? How, how do they approach and understand what change is? Mm. And they identify a number of colors for it. And you have blue, which is very much focused on structure. Uh, and th the assumption there is that change follows structure. So if you, ch if you change the structure in an organization, then change will happen. But they have other perspectives also, like change follows power, which I think is yellow or red. Yellow, it's yellow. Yeah. So if you if you change power structures in an organization and you or you build coalitions, then change will follow. You also have like uh, uh, change follows learning, which is green, or change is unpredictable and you cannot plan it and you just have to seize the moment when it happens, which is white. Um, and so these are different colors and different ways to understand change. I think in general, in our professional community, there is a very strong emphasis on blue uh, to the detriment of the other perspectives, because I don't hear a lot of people talk about power and power structures and how to mm. build coalitions, how to even the word manipulation is a dirty word in our community, even though part of uh, a, a yellow perspective on change is that you can find ways to bring people over to your site in a positive way. It doesn't, manipulation doesn't have to be bad, uh, but that's something that I think is, is also very interesting. Also like to what extent do um, changes actually address personal needs and motivations that people have? Mm. That's also, that's red, that's actually red in their color theory. There's very little talk about this in, in my mind. And I think the over-reliance on the blue perspective makes us all very focused on frameworks, which is also why most of the training and, and workshops are about frameworks. But I think these other perspectives are, are very useful, maybe even more useful, but we're not talking enough about that. Yeah, yeah, I think if, that, that's if we very, could, yeah. If we could maybe find a, a link to, to the work that uh, Kristen just mentioned. And, yeah, uh, I'll share we'll, one with you. See yeah, we can we, we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, uh, and, and maybe kind of a, a segue from that, but uh, or tangent from that, but coming back to the question about what's the value of frameworks, I guess one, in, in some situations when you have to like, uh, especially when an organization is quite new to Agile and, and you want to, uh, and, and there's like an interest to start a larger transformation. I think what the frameworks can bring is, is some credibility to it. Mm -hmm. that it, it because like yeah. when you talk in agile terms, it can sound like, like it's some kind of religion, you know, for the management that is, is not like necessarily very familiar with all the nuts and bolts of it. So then it's, it's good that you have some, some you know, uh, case studies that, you know, in our industry, there's some other companies doing this and they are using say for less or something else. And, 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 and you get that credibility to, to you know kick off the thing and, and, and kind of, exactly. kind of show show how the pieces fit together that that makes sense to to to, to someone in the c suit or yeah also and, yeah and, and also like the like frameworks scaling frameworks like say for less may actually fit better with existing power structures they may fit mm, yeah. better with the personal needs of the of the different levels that are involved in a change so that's also why I think it's not necessarily bad but if you only take a blue perspective to change then your assumption will be, let's just not do safe and do this other structure that's more effective in our, in my mind, and then everything will be okay. Yeah. But it's it's never that simple. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Or it's not always that simple, at least. So. <laughs> well, yeah. In my experience, it's never, it's always very hard, even with an individual team, it's, it's hard, <laughs> but a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, but I'll share a link to uh, to the Callaway Informatica. I think it's very useful to 
to get acquainted with those different perspectives. It also helps. I think it also helps us understand more about some of the weaknesses in our in the discourse in our community, but also the strengths that we have. Like we're very good at blue. That's a big strength of our community. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Um, uh, my channel, do you have some questions at this point? I, I would have one, but if you have something in the back of your tongue. Uh, yeah, I think you, you kind of um, uh, touched on this uh, earlier, uh, Nicholas, but there was a, a passage from the article that we're, we're referencing here that um, really uh, resonated for me. And, and that was this, uh, organizations do well to seek a framework that fits the mindset already present and not to impose one that is very different. Um, so so safe or less or um, uh, scrum at scale or whatever may work well in one organization, but not at all in the other. And uh, that, that I think that's a, a very useful insight. Um, and uh, it, it kind of gets to the um, some of the underlying uh, psychology behind how people will process change. Um, exactly. And uh, I'm curious, is there anything that you saw in the data to uh, further uh, elaborate on that uh, conclusion and anything in there? Well, for me, it was not, I, I, I have to dig deeper into the data at some point to, because I have more things I would like to answer with it. But one of the things that I think was just the most interesting for me was that I didn't see any big differences in the first place. And I think some of the things that I found enlightening was also in the comments that followed after the post. Of course, there were some people that were critical of it, which is fine. I mean, we should be critical of things that are, are challenging our beliefs. Uh, but there were also a lot of people in the comments that were basically saying things like, finally, someone says something that I'm also noticing in my work, that it doesn't really matter all that much and that you have to just pick what works for you. And I think it's also nice that um, a more nuanced perspective, which I hope to bring in, in the analysis that we've done, can also create more space for people to feel comfortable that, okay, safe may not be perfect or less may not be perfect, but it works for this organization and that's fine. Um, because if everyone is basically bashing on, on scaling frameworks all the time, you make a lot of people feel bad with all the memes and all the all the, the things that people say. I mean, my LinkedIn timeline is pretty much filled with, with memes like that. And I don't think that that's very helpful. Yeah. Okay, good. I think we could maybe like make a segue here to talk about, you know, research on Agile in, in, in general. Yeah. Unless, uh, I mean, we can, of, of course, if, if like in general, you have some questions, if you want to specifically ask about the article, we can still certainly come back to that as well. Um, uh, I guess we could just start with general questions. So, so you know, uh, how, how do you see the role of, of, of like research in, in this space and, 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 and the value it, it can bring to the community? So mm. I guess we, we touched up on that a bit, uh, that, that we can have more sound arguments and, and so on. But, but what, 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 how, how would you like pitch it for us? I've been asking myself the question a lot, lot a long time now. Um, basically, the whole what happened to, for me is, as I think five years ago or a bit less actually, I think four years ago, 
I had all I was working with Barry on a number of uh, classes that we were developing workshops and training. And we were thinking like, what's the actual impact of training on, on behavior? Like does behavior actually change meaningfully after you go to a two day class? Um, and I started reading up on this and, and there's actually an interesting topic in its own right for, for another time. Um, and, and basically that was the moment where my scientific training reawakened, which had been dormant for a while. Um, and I started digging into some of the other questions that were on my mind, like, to what extent is team size important to how effective a team can be? The size of an organization, does that actually make a difference or can Scrum work just as well in a small organization or a big one? I have many, many questions like that, uh, but I was mostly interested in what can actually make a team more effective. I don't even honestly care that much about Scrum, but I, as in that it, it, it can be a helpful guide for teams. What I'm more interested in is how can we make teams more effective and which factors contribute to that? So I started looking into scientific research in the area, which was actually, there is actually quite some research in that area, which for some reason is not really reaching at least my part of the professional community, which is, I think, sad because there are a lot of academics spending time on it and professionals spending time on it, but they're not finding each other. So uh, I started collecting data on my own and I thought, well, let's just create a survey. Teams can participate. I can collect the data set and hopefully start answering those questions. And then I was approached by a professor, Daniel Russo, from the University of Aalborg, who has been my partner since then, uh, my scientific partner since then. Um, and he basically asked, can I analyze the data that you're collecting? Because it's pretty rare to have so much data on teams. And I already had done some analyses. I shared them with him. And he was like, well, this we can publish. Let's go ahead. And that was the first publication that we did. And from there, basically, we did all these other things. And what I think in general, scientific research can bring to our community is more evidence like what actually works what doesn't work and i think it can bring more nuance because scientific research usually the answer is like in most cases it's this but not always or usually it goes like this but not always and i think that that kind of nuance in general is very good to have also i think a lot of scientific research is always interested in what are the variables that are important for a particular effect, like an effective team or an effective business or happy team members, and which which variables actually influence each other and how does that work? And I think understanding which variables are important can help us draw attention to those factors. Psychological safety is like, even in the data, it's, it's, it has a humongous influence on effective teamwork. If psychological safety is low, teams just, it really goes down quite dramatically. So this is definitely something to spend a lot of time on. And I think that those kinds of insights we can get from scientific research and they can shape how we work with teams and how we actually actually make more effective teams. Um, that, that would be the value that I see. What, what about you? What do you think? Well, well, our, um, Go ahead, Janelle. My colleague, the data scientist, was just in Australia for a winning best paper at the International Conference of ah, Software Engineers. It was an exciting. And nice. it was all about Westrom culture and burnout. So this is a topic very near and dear to our, our group at Digital Performance. And having been in some uncomfortable situations as an employee, I was an internal consultant for years, so it's not like I'm an out-of-touch um, consultant running around at different companies. I mean, I've felt the pain as an employee over the years, and 
sometimes understood it and sometimes just all of us wondering like, why is it like this? You know, are we new enough? But so anyway, yeah, this, the thing about this is, you know, there's two different ways to look at this world that we're in, at least in North America, where economy is a little tight, maybe a lot tight, depending on where you are and what region, but sometimes paying for a survey or making teams, even if it's an internal thing where we have to set aside, set aside time to work on this is somehow like there's a paradox there where part of it's like, don't you want to do more with less? Don't you want to see the improvements that you can do right now with what you have and take a step back? And then there's the other part of that's like, we don't have time for this. And my favorite saying with that is, um, I don't have time to learn how to swim. I'm too busy drowning. <laughs> and so there's this thing where we have to work with teams and teams have to work with their management to make the case for why now is important to have some new data or to look at the data we did. We did a survey two months ago and we haven't done anything with it. So there's the, the time factor, even if there's no money at that point. And so that's the thing we see a lot um, and that I've experienced as a team member myself where we did something and it's just, you know, back in the day, it was a, we called it the Dead Sea Scrolls, rolls of sticky, giant sticky notes in a closet somewhere that we're not going to get back to those and maybe we should. That's so recognizable. <laughs> I remember those drawers, like you pull them open and so, there are like tons of stickies, yeah. <laughs> So I have a lot of empathy because I think we're talking about something that can sometimes feel really big mm -hmm. or out of reach for our listeners. And I want to just like try to make that connection that I hear you and that this is a difficult time and that there still might be an opportunity if you have the right repeated conversation. Maybe not, but try not to give up. Um, but you know, you know, our listeners know your culture best of when it's time to say when and back off versus go ahead and then find yourself in a place you maybe don't want to be. <laughs> that's perfect. I really like that. Yeah, and I fully agree with that. That's that's very true. Yeah. Kind of um, along similar lines, um, you were mentioning uh, earlier, uh, Christian, the, the number of different variables that uh, influence outcomes. Uh, something that uh, I tend to run across a good bit is um, organizations uh, struggle with attribution. So you know, the, your way of working, um, how does that affect the, you know, the bottom line? <clears throat> um, and what are the other influences on the bottom line? And you know, uh, reliably and believably, how can I pull out the effect of this one uh, change or set of changes compared to other things, things completely out of control. And um, what what I've uh, myself and a colleague have been doing some some work recently with um, trying to isolate on on specific uh, characteristics, um, specifically around flow and um, and lead time, and leading then into uh, more the Don Reinertson cost of delay as opposed right. to maybe what uh, some others may hang the term cost of delay on. <laughs> and, uh, and so we're, we're trying to isolate to the extent possible. And uh, 
and yeah, attribution is 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 tough. Um, and how is it working? Is it, are you get, making progress on it, or I'm, I'm Situationally, we're making some progress. Um, in in one recent example, um, uh, myself and this colleague worked with an organization for about six months, and by doing some simple categorization of work items, we're able to illustrate how, regardless of anything else that was going on, they were spending somewhere upwards of ninety three percent of their effort maintaining a platform that was riddled with, uh, with with technical debt. I hate to you know, to use that term at times, but mm -hmm. um, and what that what that simple metric did was then it opened up the door to the conversation that we really need to have, which was about how decisions were being made about where to invest time and what were the awesome. factors that were uh, playing in on those decisions, which ultimately led to a kind of a heart to heart with a, a senior leader <clears throat> and, and you know, kind of supporting that senior leader through kind of the grief stage of, <laughs> I have to tell yeah. stakeholders that I can't do everything that they possibly asked for. Mm. Um, so, so, you know, kind of connecting a bit of the, the data perspective to where ultimately the real challenge was, which was helping a, uh, a person in a senior position um, uh, think his way through how he could tell stakeholders bad news and still mm -hmm. be okay with it. Right. Um, so, uh, oh wow, that's that's love. That's a lovely story. Also, because it shows, I think, two things that are really helpful in general. Like the first thing you mentioned, like how do you make, how do you, how do you deal with attribution? Like how do you know that the variables you're investigating actually cause the effect you're seeing? Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons why it's helpful for our community to work more with academics or people with academic training in general. Like they are often trained to think in those terms. They have methods for it, to, to control for it, maybe statistical techniques. That's super helpful, I think. And the second thing you mentioned, which I think is really important, is that ultimately it's about the conversation, right? That you uh, created the opportunity for a conversation with management. Um, based on the data that you collected, the, the the things that you found, ultimately data are just numbers, but you have to talk about it. And I think that that's the strength of it. It at least gives you a stronger foundation for a good conversation. Yeah. Also about yeah. the things that are maybe not convenient, right? Yeah. 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 And what, what I've, uh, my, my lived experience has been that uh, to get the information to do proper attribution, takes work and it takes mm -hmm. time and kind of to uh, feeding off the point Janelle's making a little bit ago, it's common that um, organizations are, are struggle to take the time to do the work, to get the data, to be able to inform discussions and, and ultimately exactly. decisions yeah. when there's, you know, sit, uh, I'm not, I can't speak to the rest of the world, but here in North America, there is a very strong societal bias towards give me the pill to make the quick fix at times. <laughs> Same but, here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't we'll, we'll medicate away that. bad, yeah. bad, bad uh, organizational practices. Yeah. 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 Um, when I think about uh, kind of who, 
who are the players that are good actually with research in in in, in the agile uh, community? Uh, actually, kind of like I would say maybe unfortunately, unfortunately, uh, it, it's the strategic management consultancies because they have like they have done that a long time. They hire people that are very good uh, of like researchers and and kind of their their business model is predicated on, on having that uh, credibility in the C suit and, and you know, on the board level. And, and one of the tools they use is, is their own like proprietary research, which they do, I think, like in a way, in a similar way that, that you do at the liberators. Uh, so so they, they do surveys and they collect data from, from both public and, 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 and their own on the own surveys to kind of uh, get, tease out these interesting uh, um, interesting correlations that that you know what drives like companies' performance in different industries. And, and they might have something that you know, uh, companies that in, in this sector that that uh, were like forerunners in adopting agile they they outperform in, in on some measure like their competitors and and that that gives them credibility to talk talk uh, with with uh, with the c-suit and, and and kind of like initiate those discussions that you know maybe we should also try it uh so uh, so so um my my kind of dream is that 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 you know also the more pure play agile uh uh advisories would, would do more of that type, type of research or, or, or at least that's something i've been thinking about what, what is your take you know oh here Christian? here <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah actually i've I, every time someone posts something on linkedin about collecting data i usually place a comment like if you need help with your analysis just let me know if i have some time i'll do it for you or with you uh, i don't need money for it it's just like let's let's make our our professional community better I've actually yeah. helped McKinsey a few times in this regard too, because I know some people there and they've, they've really well-skilled scrum masters there. I actually helped them analyze their data also, and they have a lot of data. And um, I think in general, if we can, my dream would be for there to be some kind of open source-like foundation where there's a lot of data that's openly available that can be used for uh, research questions like the one we're talking about now, but also other kinds of questions and um, I don't think there is something like this. There are some organizations that share some data, but not all of it, of course, or what they can share with privacy law, of course. That's something we have to honor as well. But that would be great. And, and for, for us to have as a community, some people who can analyze the data in a meaningful way, because that does require a skill set that is that requires training and, and experience. So you need data scientists, statisticians, people with research methodology uh, who understand research methodology, um, but also people who can communicate the findings because that's one of the things that a lot of academics struggle with is how do you actually communicate something that's pretty nuanced and complex. So there's there's a lot of opportunity there, I think, to move our, our community to the next level. And I'm happy to contribute to it whatever, however I can. We're already sharing our data on Zenodo um, for people who want to analyze it themselves. But if more people would do that, that would be awesome. Uh, we, we start to approach the end of our time, but um, Mike and Janelle, do you have some like last question or comment you want to give? I just uh, I want to thank Christian for bringing a data perspective to a very uh, emotional topic. And um, also, uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't um, uh, thank you because uh, I recently wrote a uh, kind of a marketing insight for for my company uh, and referenced and linked to oh, wow. um, your articles. So, That's great. Um, so, so thank you. Uh -huh. You're welcome. 
it's a pleasure <clears throat> meeting you. And um, while we didn't really dig into is safe, good or bad, um, I think we had a solid discussion on data and some different perspectives on using that in work. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. I think we have to do another episode on this to answer, <laughs> answer the question of your article. Uh, but but now we have some more data at least about it. So thank you very much for that. Uh, Christian, is there some uh, uh, event or or some other shootout you would like to to give out? Yeah, I want first. I want to mostly thank you for inviting me and having me over and spending about an hour with me to talk about this. I mean, this is great, um, and this is always what I hope for when I write a blog post about something like this, where we that we can actually dig a bit deeper into it. And and we didn't answer the question, but for the question like is safe really that bad? I think actually thinking about how to answer the question is more useful than actually answering the question. Um, yeah, so thank you for that. And obviously, I want to thank Daniel Russo, who's my um, academic partner, uh, who is from the University of Aalborg and helping me with all this research. Um, and of course, all the teams that are contributing their data to it, because without them, we cannot even run these analyses. So if you if you can join with your team as well, that'd be great. We have more data, we can answer more questions, but you can also use other tools, of course, for the same, same purpose. So the question of is safe good or bad, uh, I'd offer the parable of the farmer, good or bad, hard to say. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, that's nice. So Christian, uh, what are the best ways for our listeners to get in touch with you if they want to reach out to you after this? The best way is to, to just send an email. Um, you can send an email at info at deliberators.com. We can also connect on LinkedIn. Um, I'm easy to find Christian Verweijs and then you'll just see me pop up with the bow tie, I think on the picture also. Uh, all listeners can see that I'm having a boat. I'm wearing a bow tie, um, but uh, that's an easy way to connect. And I'm always happy to to help people that have questions about the research that we're doing or have questions that they think can benefit from research. Feel free to reach out. Awesome, thank you very much. So, uh, on behalf of the Agile Uprising, we would like to offer a sincere thanks to our guest Christian for volunteering to spend time with us. Uh, on behalf of all of us on this episode, we'd like to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please give us a review, a rating, or leave comments on iTunes, Stitcher, or your podcast platform of choice. It helps others find us. Uh, and if it's your first time tuning in, why don't you subscribe to our podcast? There will be a thread about this podcast posted on coalition.agileuprising.com, so feel free to hop in and join the discussion. We also have an active Discord community where we discuss all things Agile and adjacent. In the show notes, we'll uh, provide a link to our Discord server. And then lastly, we do have a Patreon set up for those who would like to help us cover our hosting and production cost. You can see the show notes for details on how we can become a patron. So until next time, this is the Agile Uprising podcast signing out. <laughs>